worship the Lord this morning.
give him a hand clap of praise this morning. He's worthy, amen. How many happy to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Thankful for that extra hour of sleep? Somebody, somebody, I was. You know, it's always good to be in God's house and get to worship with God's people. But you know, I've said it often that we don't have to worship the Lord, we get to, amen? It's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to come into God's presence with God's people. So as we continue to worship this morning, I encourage you, whatever you brought through those doors with you, leave it at the foot of the cross, and let's just love on Jesus this morning. Amen? Jesus, promise you ain't you reign. 
serve an almighty God, don't we? Amen. And he knows what's going on in every one of our lives today. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. We have an altar team that's going to come up here that's been praying for you. But during our Bible reading this week, I got to Psalm 107. It just really stuck out for this weekend. And it was constantly the children of Israel crying out to the Lord. They were in a situation and had a problem. And when they cried out, it said, And the Lord heard their cries and delivered them from their distress. And there were several situations that could be going on in here. One of the situations was they were thirsty and hungry. You could be here and be thirsty and hungry for more of God. And I'm telling you, we're going to pray and God will answer that prayer. There were some that were in darkness and in chains. You could be in darkness or you could feel like you could be bound by something, something holding you back, and you cry out to the Lord, God will deliver you from that situation. There were others who were just, uh, they were sick and God healed them. There were others that were in storms, but there was a group of people that were just in sin. And all kinds of problems were happening. They cried out to the Lord, and it said God saved them. You know, today, are you right with God? That's one question. But our altar team's coming up. They're going to pray for you whether you're healed, need healing, you're in a storm, you're in darkness. But if you're not right with God, I want you to come over and just kneel at that cross. You're saying, God, I surrender. I can't do it on my own. I need a Savior. And I'll come and pray with you over there. But just come and just bow your knee to the Lord and just watch the Lord come and change your life. But we'll pray for any need you have. Altars are open. But you know what? When you stay in your seat, you're kind of hoping for a miracle. When you come up here, you're crying out for God and believing for a miracle. And God will answer that prayer. Amen.
made for worshiping you, oh God. trust in Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's give him a hand clap of praise this morning. He is worthy. Why don't you turn around this morning and greet a few people in the house of the Lord and tell them how happy you are to see them.
Welcome to Church on a Rock. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of opportunities to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. You can either drop it in the offering or you can take it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. We offer Saturday night meals and snacks between Sunday services. And don't forget, the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you're here and we hope that you know there's always a place for you at Church on the Run. The journey of life can be difficult. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help your journey by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It is a four-week class to help you learn about the church, help you get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week Freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Leadership class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, or in your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Leadership classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. I'm Karen Moat. I help with the youth at Powerhouse. I'm committed to Imagine More because we desperately need more space for our junior high and senior high students. Right now we all meet together, but it would be so wonderful to have room to meet separately so we can meet their needs better. Hi, I'm Jody Vanderhoof and I coach Junior Bible Quiz or JBQ here at Church on the Rock. I am committed to Imagine More because when I see 27 kids in one room trying to buzz in and quiz, I realize we need more space in a desperate way. We are out of room and we need more. How many can imagine more? Imagine more room around the back, around the sides. Uh, you know, we are growing from the inside and the outside. I mean, I don't know how many babies I saw this morning, but there is a lot of them. So it's kind of coming in and reaching people that don't know Jesus. So that's an exciting thing. But we need room, classrooms, need nurseries, and I hope you can imagine that. But we need to go from the imagined state to the reality state. Okay? It's time to really see this thing come to pass. We want to break ground in the spring. And so hopefully you've gotten one of these cards. If not, grab one of those in the chair in front of you. 
It's a little commitment card. And we don't want to ever feel like you're pressured to give in any way. But I do want to pressure you to pray. There's no reason you shouldn't pray and ask the Lord your part. Because do you have a heart for this house? That's the question. You know, do you have a heart for what God's doing in this city? Do you have a heart for our city? Because we believe our church is one of the churches that can make a difference in this city. We just had an event last night that was an outreach. You know, we got people going under the bridge and doing a church there and helping there. And so do you have a heart uh, for the church? If so, I mean, prayerfully ask the Lord, and it's time to make commitments so we can break ground in the spring. And when you make that commitment, and I believe everybody can do something. Man, even young people, they're making commitments in the youth group to imagine more. But when you do, go out in the foyer. There's a little piece of wood out there that you see holes in that spell out imagine more. When you make your commitment, just take a nail and push it in one of those holes. And we want to see that imagine more full of nails. Amen? Will you pray and make a commitment with us? God bless you. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about what God's going to do. Amen? God's been doing some amazing things, and he's just going to continue to do that. Uh, Just to brag on Jesus for a second, last night, Halloween night, we had our fall festival at Powerhouse, and we didn't know what to expect. It had been raining all weekend, and we thought maybe three or 400 people, and I don't know, maybe 11 or 1,200 people showed up, and it was awesome. It was a great time coming together. I want to thank everybody for helping yesterday. Over 12, 13, 14 people made commitments to Christ. Is that not awesome? Amen. Amen. They got some candy and Jesus. You can't beat that. So uh, also want to draw your attention. If you're a Texas resident, there's a big vote coming up Tuesday and you can get one of these little handouts in the foyer, but there's seven proposed amendments. So uh, definitely want to vote for those. You want to check it out, kind of what's going on. How many people know we need to vote? Amen. Get out and vote Tuesday. Amen. Also want to welcome our guests again. And if you're here for the first time or maybe uh, just a few times, And if you haven't filled out one of these cards, fill that out, drop it in the offering. We'll be able to communicate with you, so that's one way we can communicate and let you know what's going on. But otherwise, you can actually take this card on the other side of the walls to our connect room when you leave, hand it to them. They'll give you a gift bag and tell you a little more about the church. But I really encourage you, if you've not got involved yet, come to our connect class. It's this Wednesday night at 630. And if you'll come there, uh, Pastor John and myself kind of split that first one, talk about the church. You can ask any questions. And then it's on how to be a disciple and read your Bible and pray. And then learning your spiritual gifts and finding a place to serve in our community or in the kingdom of God. So that's a great way to meet people, get connected to the church, and really find out how God's wired you to be able to make a difference in the kingdom. Amen. Well, it's offering time. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 17, but a very interesting story that I read this past week. It's a story about Jesus, and Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. How many people know Jesus was amazing? Everywhere he went, he was touching people, healing people, and he came across 10 lepers. And these lepers came up to him. The Bible says they fell on the ground. They said, have mercy on me. Jesus said, get up and go show yourself to the priest. And if you remember the story, the Bible says on the way that their leprosy went away, that they were healed. What's interesting is what happens next. The Bible says that only one of these men that had leprosy comes back to thank Jesus. The other nine, they just keep going. And I want to look at verse 17. Let's look what Jesus says. It says, the Bible says, when Jesus answered, he says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This story is amazing in that Jesus healed 10 people. But it's also sad that nine of these guys that were healed didn't think it was appropriate to go say thank you to Jesus. How many people know Jesus deserves our thanks? He really does. 
He's done so much in our life. And there was two things that I got out of this. Number one, we need to be thankful people. We need to live thankful lives. God has blessed us so much. And sometimes I can get in a tendency of just saying, God, I need, or this is what's messed up. Instead of just saying, God, thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for doing all these things in my life. Thank you for a house. Thank you for a job. God deserves our thankfulness. Amen. And the second thing I got out of this is we need to be faithful. The Bible says it was this man's faith that made him whole. Listen, God wants us to be faithful. He wants us to be faithful, number one, in our relationship with him, to spend time with him, to read, to pray, to reach out to other people, number one. But number two, he wants to be faithful in our giving. How many people know God blesses us so we can bless other people and we can bless the kingdom of God? If you want to be blessed, you give. And I think that's shown throughout the Bible. And listen, it's the 1st of November, November 1st. And I want to encourage you, let's make today a day that we give. Let's make this a day that we give our tithes, we give our offerings. Because listen, when we give, God does amazing things with what we have. He multiplies it and makes it amazing. Every single one of these ministries we do, uh, the, the festival yesterday was all because of our faithfulness. Amen. I want to challenge you. Let's be faithful. Let's give our tithes and offerings and let's be thankful. Amen. God bless you. Tell your neighbor you are glad they're here today, and we are delighted to have you. Well, turn your Bibles this morning to the book of James, James chapter 1, and we're doing a series called People Matter. 
uh, when I, the Lord began to speak to me about this, I remember I was, I got excited about it and I was sharing with our staff and I said, well, let's make some t-shirts and, and well, I was going to call it all people matter. And they said, oh, you can't do that because you've got black lives matter. And then someone else started saying all lives matter. And they were kind of against each other. And then I saw a t-shirt that says drug addicts matter. And somebody told me prostitute. Well, listen, everybody matters. Come on to God. So I just thought I'd jump right in the middle of it and look at life from a biblical perspective. If you want a political perspective, turn on the television. If you want a biblical perspective, come to a church that believes the Bible is the inerrant Word of God and give the preacher his best shot. And uh, if he messes up, send him an email. And I'm sure he'll listen to you. What do you think about that? <laughs> well, this series called People Matter, we've based it on two scriptures that are, pro- that are like mountaintop scriptures in the Bible. The first, you know, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The second, in Matthew 22, when Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, he said to love the Lord with all your heart. And the second commandment was love your neighbor as yourself. And it's that commandment we're focusing on because if God so loved the world, which is all people, and God wants us to love our neighbor, how many know if people matter to God, they should matter to us? And that's what we've been talking about. We talked about different people matter, people that are different from us. Last week, we talked about difficult people matter. How many know we learned about knuckleheads? Any knuckleheads uh, you meet this week? Yeah, I bumped into two or three. Well, this morning, we want to talk about uh, needy people matter. Needy people matter. Look at the scripture, James 1.27. It's a a profound scripture. Uh, James was the brother of Jesus. He was many believe was the, the leader, kind of where the buck stopped in the New Testament church. But he said this, he said, pure and genuine religion means, now hang on just a minute, pure and genuine religion. What is true Christianity? How do we know what's right when it comes to the Bible? How do we, how do we, how do we really identify this person is a Christian? How do we know whether we're right or wrong? And, and, and what is it that God looks for? Would you say that's a pretty big question? Well, here's what he says. He says, pure and genuine religion means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, the world corrupting us simply means is that we choose to live a righteous life. We live by God, God's commandments. We live, what the Scripture says, a holier, a set-apart life to God. But it's this first part that I want to look at today. And when he says pure religion is caring for widows and orphans. Now, in our culture, if you happen to be an orphan, uh, well, for example, if a tragedy happens, you're with mom or mom and dad and kids are in the back seat and they have an accident and mom and dad are killed, what will happen is the policeman will call social services and there'll be someone there to care for those kids. Those kids are not going to be left on the side of the road. They'll put them with someone. They'll put them with grandma. How many of those kids are going to be protected? We have a safety net, and thank God for that. But in the biblical era, if you, they didn't have that kind of safety net. If you were a widow, there was no social security. Uh, if you happened to live in a town where you didn't own land or didn't know anyone, you could be, literally be out on the street. And when we talk about caring for orphans and widows, it's, it doesn't mean that good works get you to heaven. But it means if you're a Christian, a true believer in Christ who follows Him, then your life will be characterized by helping needy people, by helping people that can't help themselves. 
All of us will be in that role at one time in our life, can't help ourselves. Maybe it's a medical issue we face. Maybe we've got financial pressures. Uh, maybe we're about to undergo a major surgery. And how many know it's pretty tough being alone as you wait hours on in. But if somebody comes in and just hugs your neck or takes you by the hand, prays for you, how many know it helps you when you're in need? So when we talk about orphans and widows, I don't believe it's limited to that group of people, but it's an example in the Scripture. Other examples may be a single mom or maybe a a young girl gets pregnant. Now, how many know you shouldn't get pregnant out of marriage, but just because you shouldn't and you do, how many know that person still needs help, that person still needs the love of God and steered in the right direction, that baby's going to need some help. So needy people matter to God. Even the drug addict matters to God. The, the, the woman or, or man in the orange jumpsuit on the front page, page of the paper, they still matter to God. They might have done something uh, crazy in life, but they have needs in their life, and God expects us to, to help folks like that. So this is what we're talking about today. My presentation will be a little different in the sense that we're going to look at three longer passages of Scripture. Uh, I'll, I'll read those because it just you need to get the sense of it, and we'll learn a lesson or two from each one of them. But uh, let's begin this morning, this message entitled, Needy People Matter. And let me first ask the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Jesus is, is uh, being questioned, Luke 10, 25. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus. Now, this was like a lawyer or an attorney that specializes in the law. They had people that specialized in the law, not necessarily religious, but the law, the law of Moses, was not only religious law, but it was civil law as well. So this was an expert, but when it said it came to test Jesus, it means he was not seriously asking. He was trying to trip him up. Like the moderators were last week in the Republican debate, pretty much liberal and conservative alike agree that those moderators just wanted a gotcha moment. And that's what this guy is trying to do. But he asked a profound question. He said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm going to suggest you pause just a moment because whether you're a deeply committed Christian, you're a deep believer in God, or whether you're skeptical, whether you're not sure, there's no question more important than this one. Do I, is there a place called heaven? Is there a place called hell? Is there something after I die? Well, the Bible says there is. The Bible teaches that we as human beings had a definite beginning at conception, but from there we will go on and live eternally. In other words, after we die, the Bible, and I'll share with you this morning, the Bible says we're still alive. We'll have a different experience. We won't have this type of body that we have today, but we'll spend eternity in a real place called heaven or a real place called hell. The Bible says they're both there. So what should I do for eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God, say it with me, with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. Good answer. And then Jesus went on to say, or the man went on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's called the first and second great commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and uh, the man wanted to justify his actions. In other words, he was not sincere about it, but he was kind of defending himself. So he asked Jesus this question, who is my neighbor? And it's a question that's relevant to us today because if the second great commandment of the Bible is love your neighbor as yourself, who are we talking about? Is it just the person that lives next door to me? Is it, uh, uh, is it all the people on my street? Do they qualify as my neighbor? How about all the people in the church? Uh, who is my neighbor? 
And here was the story. Jesus said a Jewish man was traveling from... And now, the, the lawyer was Jewish as well. The Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. That's about 17 miles. It's about a 3,000-foot drop in elevation. It was a very rocky, windy road. If you've ever traveled through the mountains, you know what it's like going through mountain passes. Very dangerous. It was places for robbers to hide. It's like you come around a corner and you could just literally be in big, big trouble. And that's what was happening. And they beat this guy terribly. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. Now, how many know that's a bad place to be? Clearly, this person is in need. Uh, we don't know if he broke his leg. We'll see that someone helped him, put him on their, uh, their own uh, animal. So he perhaps broke his leg. Certainly, he was bleeding. He didn't have clothes on. I imagine he was cold uh, in the evening. Uh, this guy was hurting. And even if he could have gotten up, let me know, uh, if you were to go uphill for eight miles, that's a, that's a long ways. And if he were to go likely the way the robbers went, away from Jerusalem, if he followed them, he could run back into them. So this guy's just in trouble. Well, everyone that came through that road knew that there was potential for harm. It's just like you. I, I, I uh, was raised in, uh, just south of Memphis, Tennessee, and there was this place downtown we liked to go in downtown Memphis when I was a teenager called The Rendezvous. Anybody been to The Rendezvous? It's a rib place. Yeah, it's a rib place in, uh, in, in Memphis. Well, I'll tell you what, you pretty much take your life in your hands when you start going through the downtown area. So whether it's Memphis or Texarkana or wherever you may be, imagine a dangerous place, and that's where they were going. So lo and behold, this guy is in big trouble. And now verse 31, it gets interesting. A priest came along. Now, a priest was, if you can imagine, like a, a pastor of a Christian church. Well, he was like a Jewish pastor. He was a, a spiritual leader, and you would think that that person would provide the example what to do. Well, when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by. Now, we don't know why. Some scholars believe that if he touched a dead person, he could have thought he was dead. Uh, it would make you what's called ceremonially unclean. In other words, he couldn't do his priestly duties for a period of time. And how many know sometimes religion gets in the way of us helping people? How many know sometimes we attach so much virtue to going to church and doing church activities that we forget that real ministry happens out in the world? Well, we don't know why. This guy could have been selfish. He could have been scared. He could have seen what happened. And, but we don't know. All we know is a religious guy passed him by. Verse 32, a temple assistant or a Levite, he was of the tribe of Levi, he walked over, he looked at him lying there, so he saw the situation, but he passed by on the other side. So we got two religious people, two Jewish people, and they ignored the cry of the needy. Uh, then a despised Samaritan came along. Now, Jews and Samaritans were like this. They were like, if you think of racial animosity, whether it's, you know, Oriental against black or black against white or white against this, whatever, you think of that kind of animosity, you think of gang animosity, you think of the pressures of racism in our, in our nation, you've got one of these here. Samaritans were Jewish half-breeds. Uh, they, 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 the Jews had kind of an arrogance that we're better than you are. Uh, we know the right way and you don't. But lo and behold, the Jews are not caring for their neighbor. And a Samaritan took care of this man. And notice what he did. Mind you now, we're talking about needy people matter to God. And Jesus is telling us how we respond to those in need. The Samaritan came along and felt compassion. That's a good thing. He went over to him, and the Samaritan soothed his wounds. In other words, he, he cared for him. He bandaged him. He put the man on his own donkey, which means he walked. 
Sometimes when you care for the needy, it's a cost. He took him to a hotel and he took care of him. He even said that he would pay more if it demanded more. I mean, no, it's pretty risky to leave your credit card with the clerk at the front desk. <laughs> but that's what he did. And verse 36, uh, Jesus asked the question. He said, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? And the man replied, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, now you go and do the same. And this is a learning example for us today. Our neighbor is the person that's in need. People in need are the neighbor that Jesus wants me to love. Uh, I remember the first time I went to Mexico, which, by the way, we've got 20 of our church members in Mexico this morning, and uh, they're not in Acapulco, and they're not at a resort, but uh, they're doing ministry to, uh, uh, to third-world Christians, to world people in the world, Mayan descendants. It's a great experience for them. But they didn't go down there to have fun. They went down there to serve their neighbor. But I remember the first time I went to Mexico, it was a driving trip in northern Mexico, and we went to a village, and we got there kind of late at night. We were tired. We were ready to go to bed, and uh, we were sleeping in the church in sleeping bags. But I remember one of our team members, when we came through town and stopped at a stop sign, he saw a man that had short sleeves on, and it was cold that night, and he was laying on the ground just kind of sleeping. Well, lo and behold, we found out that he was a drunk, and he just passed out. Well, one of the guys in our group took his sleeping bag or his blanket, went over and put it on the drunk man. He said, well, what was he going to sleep on? I don't know what he slept on, but he saw somebody in need, come on, and he inconvenienced himself a little bit. He went and he showed the love of Christ Amen. to a person that's in need. Amen. You know, and, and it, it's, it's kind of odd that usually needs pop up when you're not expecting it and not ready to do it when you're busy and going somewhere. I mean, it's kind of hard to help somebody. You know, they're on the side of the road and it's raining and you don't want to get wet, you know. But it doesn't always happen at a convenient time. And loving in people in need may be risky and it could cost me a little time and it could cost me a little money. But there's a huge mistake we make as religious people. And if I could say us, even as Christian people, when we care more about our, 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 our church, our, our laws, our rituals, our routines, and we ignore... The cry of the needy. How many know just unintentionally I can just get so used to doing the Christian thing and living and knowing the Bible and, and well, there's a prostitute or there, you know, there's, there's the whatever you want to. You know, they're, oh, they've just, they're on crack. They're in and out. You know, they're on meth. They're, look at their face. I mean, you know, they're just the dregs of society. Well, they may be, but they still matter to God because they're created in the image of God. So this is what we're talking about today, caring for people that may come unexpectedly in our life and taking time to help because Jesus said this was our neighbor and we don't want to let anything stop us. Now let's keep going because we're going to see now that Jesus tells us that the way we care for the needy or the poor or ignore them will be rewarded in heaven or will be brought to judgment in heaven. Let's read Jesus, Matthew 25. Now, Matthew 25, again, a lengthy passage, but the whole chapter is what heaven's like. It's a number of parables in Matthew 25, and Jesus starts each one by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's what he says. He said, the Son of Man, this is Jesus, is coming. He's going to sit on his glorious throne. So now we're projecting in the future on a real day. It's called Judgment Day, where Christ will judge the world. And the picture here, Jesus is surrounded by angels, and he says, verse 32, all the nations will be gathered in his presence. Now, this doesn't mean all people from Brazil over here and all people from Ecuador over here. This means all of humanity. 
It's billions of people that have existed ever since Adam and Eve were, uh, existed. They'll even be there. Everybody will be there, and they'll be separated as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, let's imagine just a moment there's 10 billion people there. You pick your number. I have no idea. But the Scripture tells us that wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many find it. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and few end up there. So who knows? Let's say if there's 10 billion, there'll be 9 billion on the one side as a goat and 1 billion like a sheep. But you you see the picture. Bottom line, there's a separation. And once you're separated, it's too late to cross into the other group. Verse 33 says, He'll place the sheep at his right hand, the goats at his left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the creation of the world. He's talking about heaven. And, and what he's saying is, is that before the worlds were ever created, before God spoke the planets into existence, before Adam and Eve were born, before Jesus came, God had a plan so he could spend eternity with people created in his image. This is called the eternal kingdom of heaven. And earth is like a warm-up for heaven. Earth is where we make our decisions, where we'll end up with the sheep or the goats. But Jesus said the most amazing thing. He said in verse 35, for, say this with me, I was hungry and you fed me. Now think about that. I was hungry and you fed me. Now, what, is, what comes to your mind? Well, this must just be for when Jesus was alive on the earth and, and he was thirsty one day and somebody gave him a drink. No, he's not saying that. He went further. He said, I was a stranger. or Thirsty, you gave me a drink. A stranger, you invited me in your home. Be careful of that one today. I was naked and you gave me clothing. And it doesn't necess- just have to mean that I didn't have any clothes at all. It could have meant that huh, I got one shirt. And I've got a closet full of shirts. I was sick. You cared for me. We would think quickly in America today, if we're sick, well, call the ambulance, you know. (laughs) Go to the doctor. Uh, Quick, get a nurse. Get home health care. Well, all those are good and they're appropriate, but they can never take the place, come on, of the nurture and care of a friend or even a stranger who cares for you when all you got was a shot in the doctor's office. You care. I was in prison and you visited me. I mean, just because we're in prison. I have a friend that was a friend at one time. And this person is accused of murder. She's been in the paper a number of times. And I put one in my, my office on the wall. And I've been praying for her. Because what she did was horrible and wrong. But somehow she still matters to God. Are you with me today? I was in prison, you visited me. And the righteous ones scratching their heads say, Lord, when did we ever see that you were hungry and feed you? Or when did we see Christ thirsty, a stranger, naked? You know, when were you sick or in prison? And Jesus says this incredible thing, and I want you to say it with me. Jesus said, When you did it to let me when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Now that's incredible. Now, this, this passage has an, uh, several different interpretations, but the most clear and likely one is he's talking, his brothers and sisters are all of humanity, and they are, they are people that were in need, and some showed the love of God to them. Now, let me be very quick to say, Jesus is not saying that you can earn your way to heaven by doing good things. But what he is saying is that those who are truly Christian, truly saved, will have evidence in their life, one of which is that they care for people that are in need. 
And if we, perhaps it's good to pause sometimes and look at our lives and ask the honest question, do I help someone that's in need? Because the rest of the passage, I don't have time to read it, but then Jesus looks at this larger crowd and he said, you're not going to be able to go to heaven because when I was hungry, you ignored me. When I was, when I needed help, when I was in prison, when I was sick, you didn't care about me. And they said, Jesus, when did we see you? And he says the same thing. When I was, whatever you did to the least of these, or when you ignored someone in need, it's as if you were ignoring me. And this is powerful. What does it say to us? What lesson can I learn? And the first one is this, is that the Lord sees and he knows and he remembers what I do to people in need who cross my path. He knows, he sees, he remembers, do I care for them or do I ignore them? For example, I'll illustrate. Um, we've got these little cans, Hope for Haiti. It's for feeding kids, and we encourage people to take them home with you. They're in the lobby and places. You take them home with you, put change in it. When it's full, bring it back, and we send money every few months uh, to, to, to the kids there. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see on the television the advertisements for poor children, I don't like to watch them. I don't. I fast forward most times. It makes me feel, I, I don't like the way it makes me feel. Because I don't have enough to help everybody. And here's something that I do know. Just like the people that stand out on the road and saying hungry will work for food, 80% of them are not true. But some may be. And just like the, all the people on television, they may have the charity or foundation, but that doesn't mean that 80% of it's not going to a bureaucracy and never makes it to the hands of the people in need, whether it's for cancer or whatever the case is. This is why when we want to help people, we want to connect the gospel, come on, to someone that we know is going to put food in the mouths of kids, but also going to feel their spiritual need as well, because I've got limited money. I want to put it somewhere when I help poor people, come on, that I know it's going to get to them. For 30 cents a day, I can feed a child in Haiti. One day when I get to heaven and when you get to heaven, a child that you never knew that you fed will look at you and say, thank you for helping me stay alive because you took some of your money and you gave it to me. Listen, you don't have to give all your money, but you cared a little bit for me. How about giving a Bible, this globe over here? Uh, I just, every time I, uh, on Sundays, I, uh, any dollars I have in my billfold, I just put them in there. You say, well, why do you do that? Because we buy Bibles from that. Every time we get about $1,000, we'll find somewhere to send Bibles to. Last bunch was to Cuba. Well, how about if you put money in there and it ended up in the hands of a Muslim, come on now, in the Middle East, just as I know a Muslim man, and you may know him, but someone gave him a Bible. He was a Muslim priest. He converted and came to Christ, and today he does an influential work in the Muslim world. One day you're going to get to heaven, and people are going to come up to you, and they'll say, thank you because you gave me a Bible. Come on. It would have been just as easy to take that money and buy a Coke or that money and go to Starbucks, and nothing's wrong with either one. Listen, drink your Starbucks, but what I'm saying, save a dollar or two and buy a Bible. Are you with me today? Because these are practical ways we help the poor. In January, we're going to have a team going to dig water wells in uh, northern Mexico. And uh, uh, fresh water, more people die for a lack of fresh water, it's my understanding, than any other thing going on that's taking people's lives. It is preventable. They get, you get diarrhea, you get dehydrated. I mean, you just can't live drinking water out of a dirty pond. 
But when you go in the name of Christ and we dig water wells in places where Christians are able to influence and give them a drink in the name of the Lord, they'll meet you in heaven one day and thank you because they help, you help their babies live, come on, and not die because they didn't have clean water. This is exactly what this scripture is saying to us. Now, uh, and the way I treat people will impact my eternal destiny. Again, you're not buying your way into heaven, but Jesus is making a link between the way that I treat the poor and the way I treat the needy. One of the proudest moments in my life as a pastor many years ago, I remember this woman, she had a couple kids, and she came to church, and she was very, you know, you could just tell. I mean, life had been hard on her, and the kids were all disheveled. I mean, it just, it was, it made you sad. And she said sheepishly, can I come to church here? And of course, sure you can. Well, she said, why do you ask? She said, well, I, I was at another church, and they told me I was not welcome there because I have late-stage cancer. But listen, I don't have any money, and, and my children have lice, and they just didn't want us to go there. And a lady in our church took those kids and took them to her house. Come on now. Got the stuff at Walgreens or Walmart and put it in their hair and get some clothes on those kids and give them, give them a place to live. Amen. Now, you say, well, that sounds great, but who wants to get lice? Raise your hand, please. Not me. Listen, we had a little ice outbreak uh, not too long ago, and uh, somebody comes in, having no kids, just playing. I don't, listen, I don't care if you're a millionaire if you're in poverty. Come on, people just get lice, and they get them when they hang around kids. Or you go to a movie theater, come on, and you're putting your head against the chair there. Well, I, uh, that's not fun for me. And, you, you know, if you've got lice... I... Sometimes there's a price to pay, but I'm telling you, people matter. And if they matter to God, they need to matter to me. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amening this morning. Let, let, me, let me keep going. How do we help the poor? Let's get practical for just a moment. Now, First John chapter 3, how do we help the poor? John's, uh, John, uh, John's uh, epistle, he says, now this is how we know what real love is. Jesus gave his life for us, and so we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. And he says, suppose someone has enough to live, and he sees a brother or sister in need, but he doesn't help. Then God's love is not living in that person. Again, great commandment. My children, say this with me, we should love people not only with words and talk, but with actions and true caring. Now, let's kind of get real for just a second. Uh, does this mean we just give money to anybody that asks or anybody that's poor? Well, sometimes, but not always. Now, look, if you're hungry, you need something to eat. But if you have a lifestyle where you are just learned, come on, to not, not engage life, not have a job, just live from one hand to another, you don't just need a handout, you need a hand up. And not everybody wants a hand up. We live in a culture where we've somehow become, uh, many have become satisfied with a handout. Now, let me talk to you just a moment about the blessing and the curse of America's welfare system. The government has taken the church's role. I am grateful for care. I'm grateful that I live in a nation that if I am in a hard time, there's help. I'm grateful that if I've been in an accident or if I am born born disabled, that there is a system of care for in this great nation for me. 
I'm grateful that if I don't have a home, I can apply for a place to live. That, that if I need food to eat, come on, that I can find a way. I know many of us today are, uh, cannot live any other way. And I am grateful we live in a nation that's able to provide help. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But here's the problem, and I know there's a million exceptions all across the board, but the problem is what America is doing is not working. In the last 50 years, our nation, since LBJ declared the war on poverty, we have spent $22 trillion, trillion, trillion dollars on programs to help poverty and the poor, and it has barely changed the rate of poverty in America today. But what it has done... What started out as a means to help us, it was never intended to become what it is today. Welfare in America today has become a way of life. And the only problem with that is you'll never get ahead that way. You'll never have enough, and the government can never give us all that we'd like to have. And what it's produced is generational poverty has become the norm for many. They don't know anything different. All they've seen is a lifestyle where somebody else takes care of us, sends us a check, charges the card, and... And, and nobody has showed them how to get out of it. Welfare policies are destroying the traditional family. Now, I want to tell you, the family's in trouble across the board. I don't care what the color of your skin is. But the traditional family is being destroyed in the African-American community. In the last 50 years, listen, the last 50 years in America, before this war on poverty started in the current welfare system, the average uh, African-American family had a husband, uh, a mom, a dad, and some kids in the house. But today, there's a mom, there's some kids, and it may be a grandma, but it's hard to find a daddy anywhere in sight. Why is this perpetuated? It's because there's no incentive to get ahead. Our policies disincentivize marriage. In other words, you'll make more money if you're single than if you get married. And who can get ahead? Come on. Who would want to make a little more money when they're going to penalize me for making 50 cents more an hour? And you say, wow. Who are you? You're white. I'm not white. I'm not white. I'm a pastor who's opening the Word of God, who's trying to find truth in a corrupt society, and I just happen to be white. But the Bible, the the culture tells us the first thing you look for is the color of my skin, and I put you in a box. The first thing I look for is your gender, and I put you in a box. And if I still hadn't quite got you, I got a great great quote here somebody sent me from Thomas Sewell. Uh, He's an editor, but he's also African American. But he is a uh, he is a a, 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 um, an economist, a teacher, professor at Stanford University. Here's what he said: The black family survived centuries of slavery and generations of Jim Crow laws but it has disintegrated in the wake of the liberals' expansion of the welfare state. So that's the black guy. But you can't say things like this in America because they put you in boxes because politics is all about money and votes. Come on now. And we care to a degree, but we're not solving the problem. I'm going to get there. Stay with me. Welfare... Welfare, as we know it, ignores the blessings of work for the able-bodied. And again, listen, if you are not able-bodied and cannot work, listen, sign up for everything that's out there. But if you can't, listen, welfare welfare takes work away. Genesis 2.15, work is God's idea. Before the fall of man, God took Adam in the Garden of Eden. What was he there for? He was there to, to work it and take care of it. Work is not 
punishment. Work is the means for God to provide for us and to prosper and get ahead. Come on. You will never get ahead from the government unless you lie and cheat, unless it's fraud. But government is God's main, uh, government, uh, uh, work is God's main to prosper us and to fulfill us. Many people, listen, when I was a kid, my dad made me drive a tractor. I didn't have a choice. But I would drive that tractor, and it would be hot, and I would sweat, and it was not child abuse. It was not a violation of child labor laws. I lived, come on, in the family, and I did my part, and I could do it. But when I would finish that field, if it took me a day or a week, I would always stop and look back and drink a Coke or whatever. And I'm saying, look what I just did, and it made me feel good. This is what work does. Laziness does just the opposite. Laziness is are people that can work but won't work or don't want to work. Welfare promotes laziness. Say, how does it do that? People don't want to make more because they'll lose benefits. Now listen, if the poverty level of a family of four is about $24,000, $25,000, four people can't live on that. And if you make just incrementally a little bit more, it's hard to make eight fifty dollars when you're going to lose $1,000. Come on. So then we get satisfied. Listen, it's a trap. But the problem is the government doesn't know what to do. And we're trying to help. What if the church had a better model to help the poor? If I give you a fish, I feed you for one day of your life. And the next day you've got your hand out and you're hungry again. But if I teach you how to fish, I have given you the ability to take care of yourself. I have given you the ability to start a fishing company and put it in the back of your truck and start selling fish. I've given you the ability to start a sardine manufacturing plant. I've given you the ability to start manufacturing fish oil capsules. Come on, to help the heart. And I'll even sell some, some Cajun seasoning to go along with it. And before you know it, I've got trucks going all over. And I'm Forrest Gump. Come on, selling shrimp. What if we that in the church, listen, what if you that have learned and I that have learned how to be successful in life adopt somebody? And I don't mean you just take them in your home and they take your last name, but I mean somebody that wants a hand up, not just a handout, but they don't know what to do. Come on now. They're not where they are because they want to be. They're where they are because they didn't have somebody to help them. Come on, when they were growing up to become the person that they could be, the potential that they had in God. What if somebody, listen, if you never had a mom or a dad or somebody to teach you to make your bed and clean up after you, come on, and clean up the mess that you made, you think they're going to hire, you think you're going to lose your job when you start working? Absolutely, because they didn't hire you. They're not your mama, and they're not firing you because of the color of your skin. They're firing you because you don't know how to live life. Somebody, if you will humble yourself and ask a successful person, would you teach me how to be successful? Would you just help me just a little bit? Would you show me how to love my wife? Would you show me how to properly discipline my children? If somebody would teach me life skills, if somebody would help me know how to get ahead at work, help me figure out what I'm good at, I might not be able to get a master's degree like you have, but I can be better than I am today. Come on. I, 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 I can have something. And that's something the government cannot do, but that's something that we can do. I'll tell you another proud moment that I've had as a church. Can I go a little bit longer? I was going to do it anyway, but I just wanted to ask for permission. It's just easier. 
we got a gal in our church. Her name is Hope. She sings. I mean, she can sing like an angel. Well, Hope was married, had a little baby, and her husband kicked her out of the house. And she's in Oklahoma. She's on the street. She's by herself and had nowhere to go. Thank God her mom and dad took her back in and, and, and helped her get back on her feet. Come on. Help her begin to get her career. Now she's getting married and life's going good. But you know what she did? She got a burden for helping people furnish their homes because, come on, you may be wanting to do right, but you just don't, you don't even have a bed to sleep in and don't even have, come on, sheets to put on that bed and don't have a dish in the house. So she started asking people if they take their extra stuff and, and, and just let her be able to find somebody that wants a hand up rather than a hand out and be able to help them make the next step in their life. Well, if she can do that as a single mom, why can't you and I do that? Why can't we add something to that? Why can't we join with the Rayfields that are ministering to people under the bridge and realize one day they don't even wear to wash their clothes? Come on now. And help them to be able to wash their clothes one week and then find the one that wants a hand up, help them get a job, help them get an address where they can mail paperwork. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the, it's, it's the evidence of true Christianity. Now, let me be real quick here. I'm going to give you a sober warning we can live in luxury and ignore the cry of the poor and cost us eternally. Jesus answered in Luke 16, there was a certain rich man, and I want to mind you, he's not even named. But I guarantee you, everybody on the street knew the rich man's name. Because when people have money, they draw people to them, and it's not because they like them all the time. It's usually because they want something. But there was a rich man, and he was not even named. But he was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. He lived each day in luxury, enjoying himself. This was a guy that did anything he wanted to, pulled out the card. Just, there's no question about appetizers, no question about drinks, no question about desserts, no sharing of meals. Life is good. But at his gate, at his door, think about this. Every time he goes home, he steps over a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. Lazarus was longing for the scraps that came from his table, whatever he threw away in his garbage can. He longed to have what went down his garbage disposal. Dogs would come and lick his sores. This was not man's best friend. These dogs didn't eat from PetSmart. These dogs were scrapping to survive, and they smelled something, and they licked him. The rich man died. Or first, the poor man died, and angels carried him to be with Abraham or Abraham's bosom. It was called paradise. It was the holding place of the dead who were believers. You know, there's no nobility in poverty, but the Scripture does say in James that the poor are rich in faith. Not always are poor people rich in faith, but somehow when you don't have, it provokes you to reach out to God. So Lazarus prayed his way through this life, but then the rich man died and was buried, unnamed. His soul went to the place of the dead. He was in torment. It's called Hades. It's called Sheol. It's the holding place. It's before eternal judgment of hell, but Scripture says it's torment there. But he saw Abraham, and he saw Lazarus. Listen, when you die, the Bible does not teach you lose consciousness or you become one with the force or whatever. You recognize, you know, you have knowledge of self and knowledge of others. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in the flame. Abraham said, too late. Son, remember you during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing, and now he's here being comforted, and you're in anguish. Now, very clearly, the Bible does not teach us that 
Rich people go to heaven, or to hell, and poor people go to heaven. It does not teach that. Sin sends you to heaven. Come on. Uh, sin sends you to hell. Forgiven sin is what allows you to go to heaven. See if you're listening. But, but, but let me say this. First Timothy, let me balance this. First Timothy 6, it speaks to the rich, which are all of us now in America in, 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 in global terms. It says, God's given us things to enjoy, but then he says, be generous and willing to share. So it's not, do I just spend it all on myself or give it all away? No. How many know you can give all you have away and still not go to heaven? That's 1 Corinthians 13. But what it is saying, though, is it's an indication of our hearts. Here's what I know. Uh, I never have enough. Now, I do have enough, but there's always something else. Come on, anybody out there with me? If we live a selfish life of pleasure and materialism like this rich man did, we'll waste our life. When you go in to buy a house, let's say you can afford 2,000 square foot in the neighborhood you're going to live in. Listen, buy it. But the realtor is going to show you one that's 2,200 square feet or 25, more than you can afford, more than you really feel. But it just had, I don't know what, you just fill in the blank. Now listen, in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with the 2,000 or 2,500 but if you buy the 2500 you don't have anything left for that. You feel guilty every time something's mentioned or every time you see a needy person on TV, you fast forward. Because you don't have any more. You go to buy a car, you're perfectly happy when you got there and it was an L whatever, just an L. But then the salesman showed you the LX. Who likes extras? Let me see your hand. Who likes LE? Luxury edition, got to have it. Is anything wrong with it? No. But if you buy that LE and you can't do that, you've bought too much car. How much happier am I if my TV is 65 inch as opposed to 55 inch? Oh, a lot, Pastor, because I got a 65 inch. Okay, no, no problem. <laughs> but, but here's the deal how many duck decoys do I need? Give me one now. Come on. You've apparently never gone open water duck hunting. I mean, you know, you've apparently never hunted in an open field. You need dozens and dozens and dozens. Here's what I know. There's always something to do to me what it did to the rich man to pull me to got to have a little bit more. I've got to have a little bit more, and I'll help you later. I'll do something more later. I'll go on the mission strip later. I'll tell you, friends, later will never come. And one day, it's over, and you're standing before God. And Lazarus, come on, is in a place you cannot go. Not because you earn your way, but because the love of money has separated you from the love of God. I saw this week on the Internet, anybody excited about the new Star Wars film coming out? Let me see your hand here. Come on. Yeah, okay, all right. I like Star Wars. A reseller was selling a ticket to an opening night private show for $10,000. Now, for me, that's a lot to go to a movie because when it's over, all you're going to have is a memory, a couple selfies, and, and, and an empty popcorn box. Because you know if you're going to pay $10,000, you're going to get a selfie in there. I don't care what they say. You're going to take your picture. I may not do that, and I may self-righteously look at that and say, well, I would never do that. Let the Cabela's catalog come in my box. You say, you're just a man and you just hunt. How many shoes do you have in your closet, honey? Come on. How how much is enough? I'm not going to try to tell you. I'm simply going to say, just save some room 
And make sure, make sure when the needy person is laying on the side of the road, you take time and help. Come on, punch your neighbor and say, he did a good job this morning. Let me, uh, let me close with this little quick video and then we'll pray. Now, I, w- I want you to, before you get ready to check out and go to lunch, what can I do? What can I, how can I help the poor and needy? Let me just show you a little quick two-minute video of what your church is doing right now, and you can just get on board. And this is just a little bit. Take a peek here at some things that have happened in the last few months. the Lord. Yeah, give Jesus a big hand. Say, Pastor, what do I do? I, I, I just want to do something. Just look in the bulletin every week. There's a whole column. Things going on every week. Look in this ministry, God. That's what I do. Things happening right here in our hometown where people are touching people. Pick up one of those cans in the lobby and keep a little change. There's a little Christmas box. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, th- th- again, through Haiti, because we know a church there and they're organized, they just fill up a box full of stuff for kids that wouldn't get anything. Anything. How many presents do I need? I, listen, is there a real difference between 11 presents and 12? I don't think so. Do this for one of them. Just one. But there's always a little thing that we'll just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Have a life. Enjoy it. Do what the Bible says. Enjoy what God gives you. But then be generous and willing to share. Let's stand to our feet this morning. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate the little extra time today. Can we just pray and say, Lord, now, now what are you saying to me here? 
as we just bow our heads, we're going to offer for prayer and they'll sing a song and then we'll go home. If you want to join the church, let me encourage you, go across that hallway and just ask them what to do next. They'll, they'll help you. This is a special day for that. But right now, Lord, what did you say to me in this message? Could we just pray and say, Lord, would you help me make a place in my heart for poor and needy people? Let's ask that right now. Lord, make a, help me make a place in my heart. Help me open up some of my time. Forgive me when I've been selfish. Help me be content. And help me live for eternity. Lord, I don't want to be with the goats when you separate humanity. I want to be one of your kids. And I want there to be evidence in my life. In Jesus' name. Let's close with prayer. If there was anything in this service that's touched you, you still feel a a need for prayer, maybe there's a struggle with something you're having based on something you heard, you just feel, I need something from God. Let us pray. But most important thing we'd like to pray as we close, just as Pastor Mike shared earlier today about committing your life to Christ, maybe you heard a lot about heaven and hell and eternity, and maybe it's got you thinking today because you're not where you need to be in your relationship with God. If you died today, you don't know if you'd go to heaven or hell. My friend, you can make a commitment to Christ today, not to join this church, but to commit your life to Christ. We'd like to point you in that direction so you could find God's forgiveness and assurance of eternal life. If that's you, I'm going to encourage you to come as well to the cross, and we'll pray for you. So as our prayer team comes right now, and as you're coming, you need prayer for anything, just slip on up here. You want to commit your life afresh to Christ, move over to this cross going to close one song and dismiss. Thank you so much for coming today. I love you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm amazed by you. Lord, I'm front and they'll be happy to pray with you for whatever that you need this morning but if not hey feel free to be dismissed and we look forward to seeing you guys next week god bless you